Operating a new farm comes with a million challenges, including setting up a detailed production plan. Making the business work is essential. And this week, we share tips on how to fund your farm. Tabelopiri encourages farmers to explore organic fertilizers to farm more sustainably. It joins us to share a few vital tips for new farmers. Aquaculture is a topic we've covered quite extensively here on Farmers Inside Track, but we know it's a difficult field to enter Nimzanzi. So we ask experts for advice to get you up to sprinting speed. And our book of the week, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek, is a must-read for the new year. And our formative of the week comes from Dr. Raisi Bekekana, who is a technical veterinarian for ruminants at MSD Animal Health. This is Farmers Inside Track, supported by Food from Zanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey, I'm Zanzi. And welcome to episode 108 of Food from Zanzi's podcast called Farmers Inside Track. To all our new listeners, I'm Dawn Numdu, the editor for audience and engagement at Food from Zanzi. And joining me is my co-host and Food from Zanzi's head of news, Duncan Masiwa. It's great to be back, Dawn, with another exciting episode. And this week, it's all about the money, money, money. <laughs> now, not a day goes by, Dawn without farmers telling us how difficult it is to find funding for their agribusiness. Now, this week, journalist Nicole Ludov chats to Berti Haman, who is the Senior Manager for Agribusiness at Standard Bank, and he shares a guide on how to fund your farm. Over to you, Nicole. Thank you so much, Dawn and Duncan. Berti, what are the kinds of financing that is available for farmers and agribusiness people? Do you know of any funding alternatives they can look into that doesn't require loans? There are essentially four types of finance a business owner can use when looking to fund his business. The first type of finance is money provided by the owner himself, which will typically come in the form of share capital or a shell alone. While these theoretically differ in nature, let's just refer to both of these as the owner's own contribution. While banks provide finance, they often also consider the owner's own contribution, and for this reason it is an important source of funding. There are instances where the own contribution is less, and then there are other cases where the banks will require a larger own contribution. There are cases when a farmer or agribusiness go into a joint venture or get outside shareholders to help finance the business. This investor then specifically provide cash to finance the business. There are also examples where development finance institutions provide loans with very liberal or loose terms and conditions. To the extent that it appears to be a grant, one should be very careful of these type of agreements as it inevitably come with some conditions which may end up in the long run be very onerous. The second type of funding is where you have an existing business which traded profitably in the past and these profits were retained in the business. In other words, the shareholder did not withdraw the profits and we then refer to this source of funding as retained profits. This can also sometimes double up as the owner's own contribution. The third source of funding is loans from third-party credit providers such as banks and other financial institutions. These loans are subject to very specific repayment arrangements and other terms and conditions which must be complied with. Typically, bank loans are divided into two broad categories, being long-term loans and short-term loans. So if we first look at long-term loans, these are typically loans used to finance the purchase of capital or long-term assets, such as buying a farm or buying a tractor. As the name suggests, you will be using the assets for a long period of time, specifically for the purpose of generating an income. 
These long-term loans can be further divided into more fit-for-purpose loan products. For example, a long-term loan over a period of maybe up to 15 years for a purchase of a farm. Some financial institutions provide funding over an even longer period. Then also movable assets are finance loans, which is typically used to finance the purchase of movable assets, such as a tractor or a harvester. These loans are also suitable to finance more niche assets, such as irrigation equipment or orchard netting. The maximum period is typically up to seven years, but banks will have very specific loan timeframes, depending on the type of asset you wish to finance. Then we get short-term loans. These are loans in nature for a period of one year or less. While in practice and on condition that the borrower continue to abide by the loan terms and conditions, these loans get renewed annually. There are different types of short-term loans, but in general we can refer to two types. The first one is an overdraft facility, which is often a very general purpose loan and used by the borrower to cover working capital-related expenditure, such as wages or utility expenses, while it awaits the proceeds of crop income, for example. When the crop income is received, then the loan is repaid. The second type of short-term finance is a production loan, which is typically used to finance an agricultural crop. The proceeds of the loan is used to plant, maintain, grow, and then harvest the crop. When the crop is sold, then the loan is repaid. And the last source of finance is also from a third party, namely trade credit. In the agribusiness space, most of the agricultural input providers, such as seed and fertilizer companies, provide some sort of trade credit. This is of short-term nature. Where should farmers or agribusiness people start when planning business funding? What should they be considering? The logical, but sometimes not so obvious place to start is to be very specific about what you want to finance, as this will determine the type of finance you should apply for. Try to determine what financial contribution you can make. That's the own contribution we referred to earlier, and how you were thinking about financing the remainder. For example, how much you want to borrow and over what time period. At least in your own mind, try to establish how much cash you will be able to generate to repay the loan and the interest on the loan. Now the next step is really important. Now make an appointment with a bank representative to now informally discuss your proposal. It is important to find someone knowledgeable and who will understand what you want to do. Explain to this person that you would like to also get their advice and input. Bear in mind that an experienced bank official has seen in the past what can work and what not. It may be worthwhile to speak to different persons from different financial institutions to ensure that you are now well informed and also that you pick an institution with whom you believe you can confidently discuss your future plans. After your discussion with the various people at the financial institutions, you should now have a good idea of what is possible and what not. It is now the time to draw up your detailed business plan, which includes how you wish to finance your venture or new purchase. You should also now have a good idea of how the different financial institutions will consider your proposal, and this should help you to include all the relevant information. After you've now completed your detailed business plan, make another appointment with the financial institution of your choice and discuss your business plan and ask him to assess your plan with the purpose of obtaining a loan. In your opinion, what are some of the worst mistakes agribusiness people make when obtaining finance for their businesses? There are a few critical mistakes, which I see very often. The first mistake is using the wrong type of finance. For example, using an overdraft facility to pay for a long-term asset. The reason for this mistake is simply because the overdraft facility was arranged previously and is not currently used in full. In other words, there is money available to be withdrawn and the borrower don't want to go through the hassle of arranging another loan. 
So the overdraft facility is used for purchasing a bucky, for example. And then when the new crop must be planted, there's not funds available. This is not even a rookie error. I've seen some of the most experienced chief financial officers make the same mistake. So be aware of this pitfall. Another common error is to be too bullish in your assumptions. For example, you overestimate your profits and end up not being sufficiently profitable or generating enough cash to repay your loan. Another common error is not budgeting for all your expenses. Be sure that you budget for all your expenses, including your own drawings from the business. If you're under budget on your expenses, you will also end up not generating sufficient profits or cash to pay your loan. And the last common error which I see often is chopping and changing your business plan. This makes banks nervous and suggests to you either that not do your homework or that you are misrepresenting the actual state of affairs. This is why it is so important to speak to the financial institution before you submit your business plan. You probably only have one chance. Rather take a bit of time to prepare properly than having to adjust later. Finally, do you have any tips or advice for farmers or agribusinesses when it comes to financing? Yes, if I can offer some tips. I think the first one is very important. Make sure that you speak to a knowledgeable and experienced person at a financial institution of your choice. The second piece of advice, maintain a constant relationship by keeping the financial institution up to date with what you are doing and how your business is performing. Another important thing is, even if things aren't going exactly as planned, proactively discuss deviations and what you are doing from your side to ensure you can still repay the loan as previously arranged. And then lastly and very importantly, keep your financial records up to date and accurate. This means that you need to budget and keep referring back to your budget and explain any deviations. Thanks, Nicole. And great having you, Bertie Haman, Senior Manager of Agribusiness at Standard Bank. We now switch things up from finance to fertilizer. I'm now joined by organic fertilizer specialist, Tapelo Piri, who encourages producers to farm more sustainably. Tapelo, could you list the different types of fertilizers used in Mzanzi? Fertilizers can be seen or described as substances that contain essential nutrients that are needed by plants for their productivity. We have two kinds of fertilizers. We have organic fertilizers, which are from plants and animals. And we have inorganic fertilizers, which are chemicals such as nitrogen and phosphorus. What type of fertilizers do farmers use? And does it differ depending on the crop farmers produce? Overall, in agriculture, farmers either use organic fertilizers or inorganic fertilizers or chemical fertilizers. On the chemical fertilizer side, we have nitrogen fertilizers, which helps plants during the process of photosynthesis. And we have phosphorus, which is beneficial for the growth of the root system for the plant. So when we use inorganic fertilizers, we use inorganic fertilizers depending on the needs of the plant. Unlike when we use organic fertilizers, we use organic fertilizers to enrich the soil and the plants as a whole. We developing the whole ecosystem from the soil to the plant. So with the use of chemical fertilizers, the focus is only on the growth of the plant. That's why we need specific fertilizers for specific needs of a certain plant. What are natural fertilizers and could you name some examples of how new farmers can use it? Natural or organic fertilizers are fertilizers obtained from plants and animals as they usually a byproduct or an end product of a natural process. We have animal manure, cow manure, chicken manure as we know. We have earthworms, we have fish bones, we have compost 
and eggshells as well can also be used as natural fertilizers. And the application of all the named fertilizers will differ depending on the type of fertilizer in use. And either if the fertilizer is on the liquid form or on a granular form, that will depend on how it has to be used. What are the advantages of using fertilizers, especially when it comes to farming sustainably? When it comes to sustainable agriculture, organic fertilizers take center stage as they work with nature, not against nature. The nutrients that are provided by organic fertilizers follow the natural cycle of nitrogen release in the soil, and that works well with different climatic conditions and different crop growth patterns. And again, organic fertilizers are rich in organic matter which enhances the biological activity of the soil, thereby also improving and sustaining the biodiversity. In doing so, organic fertilizers help to perform a vital ecological service, which makes farming more sustainable as they reduce the environmental impact. They also help in safeguarding the surrounding ecosystems. So when it comes to sustainable agriculture, organic fertilizers becomes the future because with the climate change, with the food crisis, with the health crisis, organic fertilizers have the potential to help us mitigate all these three global problems. And then before we let you go, what is your top three tips for new farmers when using fertilizers? I greatly believe that the future of agriculture is in the hands of farmers. Therefore, going forward, I think farmers need to pay great attention to the health of their soils. Secondly, I believe that farmers should explore different methods and techniques around sustainable agriculture to benefit themselves and to benefit their customers and the environment at large. And lastly, moving to sustainable agriculture and the use of organic fertilizers can help us all in playing a huge role against the food crisis, the health crisis and the climate crisis as to ensure that a sustainable world is built for the future generations, one farm at a time. Great having you, organic fertilizer specialist, Tapelo Piri. And just like that, we switch from fertilizers to aquaculture, also known as fish farming. Now, it remains one of the biggest farming trends for 2022. David Fincham, who is the director of David Fincham Aquaculture in Gauteng, joins us now to explain the various forms of fish farming. Well, you know, various forms of fish farming or aquaculture have been around for centuries. You know, the Chinese, the Egyptians, the Romans all kind of farmed fish. And they've even found evidence now in finding old pond-type systems in Hawaii and various places. But the real commercialization, and we talk specifically about tilapia because tilapia is an African fish. There are about 30 or different species. Only three or four of those are commercially viable. And it is now the second most farmed fish in the world. So our little African fish has been spread across the globe and it is feeding millions and millions of people. Sadly, the development in Africa has been focused on subsistence farming, and it wasn't until the early 80s when work that we were doing in Zimbabwe with Willard's Foods and the setup of the first commercial cage operas in southern Africa. The development of cage operations takes a lot of money. You require a lot of environmental compliances, and not everybody can have access to the lakes and, and rivers. So the drive to develop aquaculture now has become more land-based and what we call RAS systems or recirculating aquaculture systems. And this allows you to farm, you know, basically anywhere, anywhere across the globe with many, many different species. But again, our focus in Africa will certainly be on tilapia. It's through the technology that agriculture has become so successful. And if you just take a prime example would be the poultry industry. 
if we were farming chickens as we did 60, 70 years ago, we would certainly not be eating as much chicken or have access to as much protein as we do. He also unpacks the production timelines for new farmers. Most farmers will start off what we call with a fingerling, and that's a, a little fish that's as long as any of your fingers. And so if you've got big hands, you're going to start with nice big fish. But from a fingerling to an edible plate-sized fish, which we market at 350 grams, it'll take six months minimum to grow that fish. Now, with tilapia, your biggest production factor is actually temperature, water temperature. So you might have excellent genetics, you might have excellent feed, you might have excellent systems, excellent staff and management. But if you're not farming at the right temperature, which is fairly warm for the South African environment, we talk about water temperature being on average 28 degrees. If you just compare that with the swimming season in South Africa, where most of our swimming pools will be at 28 degrees, and certainly our last winter, I think we're still sitting with water temperatures in our swimming 22, 23 degrees. And so that limits your growth rates very severely. By farming with greenhouses and closed systems, you can start heating the water and controlling the heat, what we call the heat sink within a system, so that your heat losses are less and your water temperatures are fairly stable. And obviously then your heating also much lower. So, you know, those are all aspects that, that we've looked at and we offer a, a range of possible solutions for heating. We are not heating engineers and we would recommend that our clients thoroughly investigate what they want to do before they go and spend on boilers or solar panels or heat pumps or any of those uh, heat applications. Now, depending on the scale you wish to start your fish farming operation, David explains what you would need in terms of space and equipment. We've had a look and a lot of companies and, and operations are moving this way, and that's to look at more intensified fish production. So space and water use are no longer major issues with uh, intensive uh, aquaculture. You know, the systems that we develop, we run them in greenhouse modules and the greenhouses because we're looking at absorbing as much free energy from the sun as we can. And actual, what we call an entry-level farm basically covers 400 square meters of land and we operate with 16 tanks, obviously with filters and aeration. And those farms also were designed for very specific reasons. Having worked in nine African countries and having gone and built farms in some of those countries, you know, you don't want to be away from home and on site for months and months on end. So we can literally establish now a farm within six to eight weeks. And that means building all the infrastructure, doing the training and skills development, and getting water in the tanks and fish in the tanks. And so we've got a very, very quick turnaround in terms of establishing a farm. And when we start operating those farms, we start operating at a very low level of risk because we've got a lot of water and small fish and few fish in the system. And it's only as the system develops and your stock biomass increases and your feed loads increase that you start pushing up the risk. But that'll give you basically four months of every day monitoring and testing and developing the processes to keep your water quality the right parameters and to mitigate any human error. And most people ask me, you know, what's the biggest risk with farming? And it's always the human error. Somebody doesn't fill the generator with diesel. Somebody overfeeds the fish. Somebody doesn't flush the filters. And so you really have to be on top of your game and you have to have good staff. Those staff, so long as they're well-trained in the processes, they don't have to be high-level scientists or biologists or engineers or any of those things. So we've tried to create a system where somebody can gain the confidence. I don't see very many farmers within the next 10 years throwing five or 600 million rand at a single farming operation in South Africa. And so let's deal with the smaller guys, set them up with systems where they can develop their skills. Because our systems are modular and scalable, you can add tanks and you can add greenhouses and grow over time. That growth would depend on your own growth as a business in terms of marketing and selling your fish, also in terms of your ability to raise the funding to build these operations. Then in closing, David explains what aspiring fish farmers would need 
to understand from day one. What a lot of people do is they try to set up a business without getting a full plan together. You know, and a lot of that business actually revolves around you know, traditional business, marketing, selling, managing cash flows, raising money, and all of those aspects. And so one has to really have a, a very well-rounded business plan and skill set to be able to put onto a banker's table or a funder's table or an NGO's table to say, we want so much money to develop this project. And then obviously with the, the lack of aquaculture skills across the, the sector, you would have to engage with somebody who could certainly show you the ropes. Because if you don't understand the, the farming processes and how you control the environment and your feeding and your water flows and all of those things, the chances are that you lose a batch of fish. And once you lose a batch of fish, you're going to be set back by anything between four and six months. And that doesn't uh, go well with people who funded your projects. So you really need to walk before you can run. You know, there's an organization that specifically looks at aquaculture development across the globe. And about three years ago, their CEO, Mike Failings, made this statement. He said, if you wanted to build a large-scale aquaculture project anywhere in the world today, there are probably less than companies that could do that for you. And when I talk about large scale, I'm talking these would be investments of hundreds of millions of US dollars or hundreds of millions of rands. And so what we did as a company was to look at how could we develop skills in the sector without giving somebody the keys to a 1 million rand, 5 million rand farm. And so we start at very grassroots levels with basically small scale farmer training. By going through that process and learning the practicals of, of tilapia farming, you are confident by the time you get to your business plan and putting it on the table that at least you could avoid some of the pitfalls. Great advice and always awesome connecting with you. This was, of course, David Fincham, who's the director of David Fincham Aquaculture, based in Gauteng. Now, before we let you go, next up, our book of the week as chosen by farmers, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek, is for those who want to feel they and their work matter and for those who want to inspire others to feel the same. The author talks about the four endorphins your body produces for happiness. When we feel safe amongst our own, the natural reaction is trust and cooperation. When we do not feel safe amongst our own, the natural reaction is cynicism, paranoia, and self-interest. So the question is, how do you create a circle of safety? As it turns out, the human body is built the exact same way as any organization. If we want to direct the behavior of people inside our organization, what do we do? We develop all sorts of incentive systems. We give them a target. We give them a goal. We offer some sort of bonus. And what do people do? They work towards the goals that we set. We direct their behavior. It works perfectly effectively. It works the same way with children. We give them gold stars, and we get them to do the things that we want. It works perfectly fine. Inside the human body are certain incentives that work exactly the same way. And if you've ever had a feeling of pride, status, accomplishment, love, trust, friendship, loyalty, all of these feelings that I'll generically call happiness are basically produced by four chemicals inside our bodies. They are endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. And so, every single feeling that we basically know as happiness is controlled by these four chemicals. And what they're trying to do is incentivize us to get us to repeat behaviors that are, our, that are in our best interest. In other words, to get us to cooperate, to get us to trust. It is our natural disposition to want to trust and cooperate, and we're always looking for it, which is why the sense of belonging is so powerful. We're always seeking out people who are like us. We want to be next to people who are like us. Agriculture is not just about farming. 
It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. It's super fresh, it's super soft, and it makes any meal a treat. It's Super Sure Bread and Super Sure Flour, a proud member of the VKB Group. From breakfast to lunch and even birthday cakes, Super Sure makes the whole family smile. Find Super Sure on Facebook or visit vkb.co.za for more info. VKB, for the love of the land. Dawn, I'm not sure about you, but I'm definitely getting my hands on a copy of that book. Now remember, if you'd like to review a book or perhaps you have a book suggestion of your own, feel free to email us on info at foodfilmzanzi.co.za. But before we let you go, this week's farmer tip comes from Dr. Raisebe Kekana, who is a technical veterinarian for ruminants at MSD Animal Health. Now she joins us to share advice for new farmers on protecting their livestock against heat stroke and wildfires. People that are in intensive livestock production with chickens, your pigs, and I saw somebody as well with some rabbits that died from heat stress. For those kind of animals, you want to make sure that your housing has enough airflow and that sort of thing. So you make sure that there's enough airflow for them. If it needs to be, I've seen poultry farmers that buy fans and air conditioning for their chicks. I mean, imagine if you're farming in, let's say, Fukan all the way up there in the Kruger. Easy, normal day, 10 o'clock, it's 40 degrees Celsius. So just think about your poor animals and, and what they're going through. So in case of heat stress, just make sure there's enough adequate water, cold-ish water and there's a shade for them to stand in so they can protect themselves. Luckily, like, most of the animals that are in hot areas have adapted to it, so they can most likely survive on their own. And then in case of, let's say, a fire, for instance, there's a fire that's going on, so your normal fire breaks, or those sort of things have failed. So now what do you do with all the animals? that manage to survive from the beds and a lot of things. So obviously the first thing, they're in a lot of pain. So you want to make sure that you get some anti-inflammatory in them. So the pain goes down a little bit. They will need a lot of fluids in their bodies to sort of hydrate and do that sort of things. So there's a lot of products in the market that you can add to, to sort of help with the inflammation and, you know, some ointments as well. One of such products, uh, I would say Immunovite. So Immunovite would give you your basic electrolytes, it would give you selenium. Selenium is a very powerful antioxidant, so that will go a long way in repairing the tissues that were damaged. And you also get fulvic acid in, as well in the immunovite. So the fulvic acid will also have an anti-inflammatory effect and it also uh, contributes to wound healing. That's how far, that's as, as good as I think farmers can protect their, their livestock. And our farmer tip of the week from Dr. Kekana, technical veterinarian for ruminants at MSD Animal Health, brings us to the end of this week's Farmers Inside Track, proudly brought to you by Food for Zanzi. For daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists, who go above and beyond to feed South Africa, visit foodformzanti.co.za or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. And of course, remember, if you love this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members and fellow farmers. The Farmers Inside Track is available for free on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And of course, also on foodformzanti.co.za. But from me, Duncan Masiwa, Don Umdu, Nicole Ludov, and our producer, Megan van der Fent, and the rest of Team Food from Zanzi, have a great week. What joins a continent but its continuous flow over mountains, through rivers, in the rhythm of the land? What ignites its future but the promise to fulfill? to protect and grow. The 
very life of tomorrow. Corteva. Keep growing.